so I am really excited today to have Phil Prouty with me. And a few episodes ago, I published um, a topic called Letting Others Learn From Your Pain. And I called the person that I was talking about, Bill, but his name is actually Phil Prouty. And he is here with me today. And he was on the fence about whether he wanted me to read his story or if he wanted to come and talk and share his story. And he has decided to share his story, which is incredibly brave and courageous. And as you hear the details, you will understand why this is so monumental and brave. So, and I think Phil and I are both just hoping that we can do justice to his story today. We don't have enough time. I think we could go for hours and maybe he'd come back again and we'll do this again if we feel like there's more that he didn't get to share. But um, one interesting tidbit about Phil is that he was diagnosed with cancer about, I'm gonna say six months ago. Um, and he is 65 years old and has three adult children and because his outcome of his cancer is uncertain, it's stage three and he's getting treated for it. He knows that we can't be guaranteed tomorrow. We can't be guaranteed another year. And truly we should all realize this, but Phil does. And he has a, a sense of urgency to share his story with his children, especially, and honestly, everyone he talks to, and he will tell you this, but he is so passionate and just to let you know a little bit about how I know him, he has been seeing my mother, a therapist here in the same office, Peggy Muller, or Peggy Mueller. He calls her Mueller, which is the proper German pronunciation, but we Americanized it, so, so we say Muller. But um, he has been seeing my mother in therapy for over 20 years, and he cannot wait to share what he's learned in hopes that other people can learn from his pain, learn from his mistakes and his recovery. So um, that's a little intro, doesn't do him justice, but I also wanna highlight that he has been a very introverted, shy person with a lot of trauma and from childhood and a really toxic marriage. And so for him to be here is just incredible. And it should give everyone who has any kind of social anxiety or self-esteem or, you know, social anxiety in particular hope that you can come out of your shell to a certain degree and for him to be brave enough to share his story with the world and to want to share his name because he didn't even have to share his name. So I am incredibly proud and I have seen him in the office, in the lobby. He always chats with the office manager and me when we pass each other. So I've chatted with him on and off for years. So, um, and one last thing before we really start is Phil is anxious. And I told him that I end up clearing my throat when I start recording a podcast. It's uncanny and maybe 10 minutes before I record, I just start clearing my throat and feeling like I have a frog in my throat. So I have some anxiety too, almost every time I record a podcast. Uh -huh. So anyway, there we go. So hi, Phil. Hello, thank you so much for having me. This has been quite a challenge, but yet so rewarding. 
this is a message that I want to give to people so that they can hopefully understand for themselves what they feel and what they could change to feel better in a way. I don't know. It has certainly worked for me. Exactly. I mean, you know, if you could have gotten help and therapy when you were 20 years old or 15. It'd be so much better. Yeah. It took me a long time to realize. And like most people, when you're in that situation, you don't think there's anything wrong. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really strange about being an introvert. Yeah. Although now looking back, I do see the shortcomings that I lived with and understand that that's not the best example of what my par- parents, my children, what I want them to see. You right. Know, we were, I was not a great parent, although they look at it differently because they don't know any better either. Yeah. So. Well, I definitely would love for you to give us a brief history of the trauma and abuse that you dealt with as a child. And then okay. in your early marriage, you got married yeah, at 22, right? 22, sure did. Do you want to give us a little nutshell about sure. that? I have one to give (laughs) good you sure do you have a story oh my goodness well it started basically when my parents they divorced when i was nine years old and so for the next five years i spent traveling back and forth between my mother in texas and my father in tennessee i would spend the summer with my father and then back to my mother for school Mm -hmm. And, of course, every time it's like, oh, good to see you. Oh, got to go. Yeah, you're like a nomadic lifestyle. Let's go back and forth. It's like, well, there's no stability. And the abandonment rejection problem started cropping up because, oh, I've got to leave. Yeah. Where's the support? You know, there's no continuity. Continuity. (laughs) Yes, a good word, a good word. Okay, so at that point, you know, my family did not really do much emotional expression there was no hugs i love you any kind of emotional support so then i began to develop a sense of not good enough Mm -hmm. and that has permeated throughout my whole life i have I'm, i'm just not good enough i'm not worthy and so that's a very deep place to live you know and i think in the notes that you shared you have healed from so much and learned from so much, but that is one of the res- residual. It still things. is there. It is wow. so deep seated, and uh, you know all the other problems basically come from that. I mean, introversion, mm-hmm. you know, is a sense of I'm not good enough, so I have to hide myself from everybody. Yeah. I can't look you in the eye. You know, it's it's very debilitating in the sense of seeing it from now, but back then, oh, I just thought it was something I would grow out of, Mm -hmm. a a normal progression, and Mm -hmm. it was not at all. Wow. It's such a crime, really, when somebody who has so much to offer the world, which I truly think everyone has a lot to offer the world and everyone's gifted. I agree. You agree with that? Sure. But then it stunts your emotional growth. Exactly. And your self-esteem. And all your channels kind of close up. They do. And you can't, oh, and I don't want to, now, your, Share your, your worldview collapses on you so that I was completely isolated, even though I had friends. Wow. But Or my family. I mean, I just was so narrow, narrow-minded. I don't know. I guess that's yeah. it. I just couldn't see outside of a certain yeah. boundary for myself. And 
Yeah, you, like a blockage. You, yes, you can't grow that way. Yeah. You Ooh. cannot. I love the way you said that. How did you put it? Your worldview collapses on itself? Yes, it does. Wow. You, know, you can only see so far, and there's nothing beyond that. Yeah. And there is so much more. I would never reach out to somebody, a stranger, you. I would never talk to you. I wouldn't even yeah. come in here. I was so afraid. Your eyes weren't open to all these things. And this is where on the podcast, which I hope people will listen to from a month ago about your story. Yeah. I share that verse about always being prepared to share the hope and the reason for the hope that you have. And I think that you just are desperate for anyone and everyone to learn these truths that you yes. wish you had known that would have made your life so different. So different. But even at the time, if somebody would have said, and that's what I see with other people, if I say these things, oh, I don't need that. I'm okay. I like myself. Well, but you, you beat your children. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are you saying? Oh, well, that's normal. They insist there's nothing wrong with that. And I would have too. Yeah. And I did. Oh, see, so it's hard to break outside that boundary to see that, well, no, there is something different. So, yeah, can you talk a little bit more? Is there anything else about your childhood that feels really important to mention before you talk about the abuse in your, your early marriage at 22 and then how you treated your kids and what type of mistakes well, or abuse you feel? Basically... You know, after the five years, when I turned 14, my father invited me and my sister to move up here to mm -hmm. Tennessee with him. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the start of another dysfunctional phase because when I left my mother, I rarely saw her mm -hmm. after that. And I felt like I had hurt her feelings. I know I hurt mine by leaving her. And so guilt and shame are powerful, mm. bad news when you start getting that sense of I did something wrong. And again, I'm not good enough. And you're a sensitive person uh, and, kind of and empathetic. <laughs> yes. So you felt empathy for your mom and you felt sad. Oh, bad. bad. It was terrible. How could somebody at 14 leave their mother? Forever. Yeah. See, and I think so many people who develop addictions are really sensitive, big-hearted people. They are. They are. And they don't know how to deal with that bombardment of emotional influence. Yes. And so, how do you, you know, mine was always, how do I quieten all these voices in my head? If I drink, instead of 10 voices, I might hear three voices, you yes. know. And so it starts a big wave of you think you're helping yourself. But again, you're shutting yourself off from the world. Right. And you deserve to numb some of the pain and the stress and the voices, but yet you're doing it in a toxic way. Very. Just adds so much more trauma. It and does. Guilt and shame and yes, regret and mistakes. That. I mean, and, and I like to remind people this. This might be a good segue into some of what you're going to talk about. But, you know, most people are not themselves when they're drinking, using drugs, especially drinking excessively, yes. it changes, literally changes the shape of your brain if yes. you're an alcoholic, but also it inhibits some of the executive functioning and the judgment. And oh, judgment by far. So it's like you're not yourself, but you're you not. do so much damage. And of yeah. course, your children don't think, oh, this isn't dad. This isn't mom. It, this is, they, they think this is mom. This <clears throat> is dad talking yeah. to me this way and treating me this yes. way. 
And it is, but it isn't fully. <laughs> right, right. It is, but it isn't. And right. I see that now because I drank every day for 30 years. Oh, my Every goodness. day. From 21 to 51? Uh, well, I just quit drinking two or three years ago. And it's so probably, we're like 30? It may be more than 30 because okay. surely by 25 or by 30, for sure, I was drinking every day. Wow. So you've been sober for two, three About, years? Yes, I have. Amazing. And congratulations. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. And yes, that's one of the most important accomplishments I think I have oh managed goodness. to pull off because I so heavily depended on that state of mind to keep me away from all the bad things that I had going on in my mind. Yeah. And it's just a facade. It's just a temporary so the next day, oh, the same issues are there. So I start drinking again. Mm. Next day, same issues. You, you have to solve the issues. Right. You you wake up to the same problems. And that's why I'm sure many of the coping skills that you've learned and therapy and the practices yes. are, that's why you want other people to know there's a way to get through your pain and your trauma and to heal yourself that doesn't involve numbing because numbing doesn't stop. No, it does not. It or release solve. the issue. It doesn't solve anything. No. Yeah. So that, that, that's hard to, again, like most things, you'd think it's normal. This is what I do. Okay, what's the problem? Right. And, you know, I think this will resonate with you too is trying to find that balance between. Uh, compassion and forgiveness and cutting yourself slack and saying, mm -hmm. Phil, you were suffering, you were traumatized, you had severe anxiety, trauma, whatever, depression, whatever you yeah. want, toxic relationships, yeah. never getting your bucket filled as a child, go never. on and on. Understandably, you had a lot of pain that you wanted to numb and you should have a lot of self-compassion for that. But then the accountability and being willing to own up to what you've done yes. and hold yourself to changing. So it's a weird mix of accepting and having compassionate with yourself while pushing yourself to, you know, make um, amends and mm. and you know, apologize and heal yeah. and yeah, yeah. That is a big part of yeah. it. I mean you have to realize, boy, I was not a great parent. I was not a great person. Right. You know, how do you well you change those things and then be willing to share that story and hopefully help somebody else yes. grow in that same way. And that is the accomplishment that I want to see happen. So I know that yes, I have helped somebody else do what I have set out to do for myself. Yeah. So, well, so what are some of your biggest regrets as a parent for how you treated your kids? Well, it wasn't as horrible as it sounds, but just the example, and that's what I just told my daughter just the past couple of days, is that you grew up with a person that I'm ashamed of. Mm. This is a person that should not have been a parent. I couldn't mm. even take care of myself. How can I take care of a child? And she was very uh, gracious about the whole thing. She said, well, we turned out to be good people. Mm -hmm. And I do see that they don't do bad things. None mm -hmm. of the things that I did, certainly. And mm -hmm. so somehow they overcome that. But still, I feel responsible for showing them somebody that they did not need to know. So one of your biggest regrets is that you just weren't in your mind, a great role model in no, many ways. In many ways. How can you be an introvert and a drunk, mm -hmm. an alcoholic, and be a role model? 
which is kind of where I am now. That's well, I think introverts are wonderful people. I mean, they're well, no worse than extroverts. But do you mean more yeah. like a hermit? Yes. Well, I mean, you can push the introvert over in the corner and, you know, just let them be who they are and they're not really hurting anybody. Right. But there's a social responsibility, I think, as we share things and information that, you know, that kind of hinders an introvert from being who they were. Or at least I know that was for me. When I was in elementary school, you know, even that young, the teacher would be like, oh, here's a question. I would know the answer, but I couldn't raise my hand mm. because I was afraid I would be wrong. So maybe when you say introvert, you're meaning like I was crippled by social anxiety. That or would social probably phobia. be a better, okay. uh, you know, description of it. But even as a teenager, you know, I might have four or five friends. One person, oh, we could talk. Mm-hmm. The second person come in, not a word. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this anxiety about, well, if I show too much of myself, somebody's going to find something bad or they're going to be critical or what? I'm yeah. not sure what the fear yeah. was, but I had it badly. Yeah. Okay. So even when, when my wife, you know, we'd go out to eat, I couldn't go pay the bill. Mm-hmm. She had to go pay the bill because I was so afraid to go up and talk to these people. Mm-hmm. So it's really a strange turn of events that I actually started therapy in the mm-hmm. first place with my wife and our problems because I was so afraid. And then he was the one that originally said, hey, look at Phil. He can't look me in the eye. He's looking down at his shoes the whole time. Mm. You know, and I couldn't talk, although we managed to, you know, do what we did. But it, yeah. was, it, was, it was very strange and he worked to try to bring me out of that. And I actually ended up going to martial arts, taking karate for three years because he recommended it to help pull out my fear of being with people and that was a wonderful idea did it help it was oh yeah it did help mm-hmm. you know because i was 40 and most of the people there were 20 and so the instructor instructor took a liking to me because i was the oldest and so i led the class and the stretching and the stuff and so he did boost my self-esteem by applying certain uh status to me as an older person. That's neat. Yeah. Well, I want to highlight the fact that you have had ongoing conversations with your kids and just two days ago with your daughter. Yes. And, you know, to me, one of the biggest gifts that we can ever give our kids is to apologize for yes. our mistakes. And we all make mistakes all the time. <laughs> also to validate their reality. Yes. Because owning up to you know, I am so sorry that I wasn't able to be the parent that I wanted to be. And maybe your mistakes were more like I wasn't the best role model. I wasn't beating you all or telling you you're a piece of crap and I wish I'd never had you. Yeah, That happens a lot when a people lot, are drinking. Or, um, but just you didn't give them the childhood you wanted or the childhood that they deserved and that every child deserves. But, yeah. you know, I, but I just love that you have validated and owned up to that. And that causes a lot of healing. You can't go back and change it. Yeah. But no. to just say, I see what happened. I see what yeah. I did. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, I, I have done that quite a bit, but not just recently, back several years. I mean, when I first found out about codependency mm-hmm. and my role in playing that part, then it's like, well, oh, no, and I, 
y'all went through heck. Mm, that's good. You know, especially that last year when we were going to therapy and we had marital problems and I became a raving lunatic. Mm -hmm. It was terrible what mm -hmm. they saw. And so I've apologized over and over throughout the years. Now we're to the point where, okay, yes, I am sorry, but now what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Let's look at your lives. I've looked at my life mm -hmm. and I've made my changes. Let's look at yours and see, well, what little tweaks? You know, there are good parents and I'm, they're not anywhere like me or my ex-wife. Yeah. So they're already in a winning category. Right. But there's always something in there that can be looked at and you know what well, think about this think about this yeah and so that's what i'm doing now is i you know and they will they will even ask me you know well, what do you think about this should yeah. we do this or go like, yeah this is this is great and so this is what i have learned basically from peggy mm -hmm. you don't control people you don't tell them what to do you introduce little stories that illustrate what you want them to think about, and then they go away and they come back like, you know, I had this great idea. Mm -hmm. This is what I want to talk about. I'm like, yes. I have won because they come back to me to want to know things. Wow, they consult you. They do. They do. That shows a lot, so, that they trust your wisdom and your guidance. That, it's amazing to me. After all that we have been through and the things I have told them about, my problems uh -huh. that they see me now in a new way, which is what this whole point is at this point, at this part of my life is that, yes, I've apologized and we've made amends. Let's work on what we need to work on for the future. That's right. And, you know, this is something I frequently talk about with clients is sometimes we Again, we need to give ourselves compassion, but if we might grade our childhood parents uh, when we were kids, mm -hmm. we give them a grade or a one to 10 score and we sure. say, oh, you know, my dad was a D and my mom was a C or, mm -hmm. you know, they were both Fs, you know, and a lot of people <laughs> try to. Um, and of course, I always say nobody's 100. Nobody gets 100 oh, no. percent or an A plus. But some people just set the bar a little higher. So. And they don't even know they're doing it, but they yeah. think, well, my dad used to beat me or my, you know, mother molested me. And so I'm going to just not beat anyone or molest anyone. And then I will be an A plus parent. Right. And they, they don't set their, their sights high enough. And again, improvement is amazing. I yes. love the way you said that earlier with your kids, like they, they're already winning and you should have been proud of yourself in the ways that you were doing a better job than your parents did of making your yes. kids feel loved, even though yes. you had addiction. But um, I do feel like that's kind of what you're saying to your kids is you're already good enough parents. And there's some literature called good enough parenting, mm -hmm. which is awesome. But I would love for you to be the best you can be and learn things that I wish I had known. Right. And, and, you know, just to kind of say, wow, I'm not just trying to be a C plus since my parents were C's. I want to try to be at least a B or, at least, you know, you maybe know, better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's why we're, we're kind of doing, I mean, it's all going very well, but then I see something and it's like, well, what about that? Or they'll ask me, you know, well, what can we do to do this with the children? I said, oh, mm -hmm. I have an idea. Mm -hmm. And so then when I, when I go over to their house and I see that they have a big whiteboard on the wall and I see rules, mm -hmm. I see punishments, mm -hmm. I see that like, they're actually listening to me. 
They are acting on these words. They're providing guidance and They're structure and not just kindness and love. Yeah, and not just to me. Oh, that's a good idea, Dad. Why don't you go home? Yeah. <laughs> no, following they through. are. They are. And so that makes me feel good to know that I am making changes in their lives. Wow. For the better. For yeah. the better. Yeah. That's so good. Um, do you want to talk more about the abusive marriage you were in from age 22 uh, to 40? Yeah, that was a big stretch of, I mean, when I look back, I know what happened. But at the time, it was a good period of time. And the reason why the kids turned out to be so good, partly because early on, we moved down to Georgia on a 50-acre farm. Mm. The winery uh-huh. got Near, built, uh-huh, uh-huh. and there were vineyards, 10 acres in vineyards. And so we put the TV in the attic. You were outside. They they were outside. Fifty acres. We had a pond out there. They were so much out and about and having fun. And so they didn't notice the restrictions of of work, school, homework. You know, just regimented. It was a lot more freer atmosphere. Wow. Okay. So there was a lot of good things that happened, but then there were certain personality issues that sort of drug me down because of my weaknesses and can I read some of what you wrote here because it's just so wonderful oh sure sure so you said at 40 at age 40 I left my wife and family and you you did tell me that you had done some marriage therapy for about a year that didn't didn't help much yes Um, and you said I was crazy by now screaming throwing things jealous and paranoid clearly out of control. I had never lived alone in my life. I had so much pain. I was desperate for any emotional relief. Drinking was my answer to everything. PTSD took over. I could no longer function and I lost my job nine years later. I started therapy at 41. I knew I needed help. I was such an introvert. I could not look the therapist in the eyes, constantly looking down. As a codependent, I would give money to anybody that asked. There goes proof of that big heart. Yeah. I did not know how to say no. I drank every day. I was depressed my whole life. I was on antidepressants for 15 years. I was a miserable person with no hope for personal growth, no understanding of who I was, and no idea how to recognize or manage emotions. I was completely lost to my dysfunctions. They controlled me. It took a long time and much heartache for me to start to change. That was so good. I just had to read it. Yeah, by all means. Yeah. Yeah, that that pretty much sums up the life. You know, I didn't realize, of course, now looking back is when I see these things. But what kind of a person? (laughs) It's just so ridiculous. Even when you read it, it's like, who is that person? How could they be so miserable? Surely somewhere you see yourself as, oh, I gotta do better than that. So you're meaning what kind of person wouldn't stop and think there yeah. has to be something better there than this? To I've be. gotta get help, like a wake up call? I, dra- I drank every day. Is that not something that says hello? Like you red know? flag, yeah. like wake up What's call. What's wrong with you? You know, oh, introvert again. 
what's wrong with that? Well, plenty. <laughs> well, and I, again, I want to say this only because I don't want people who are introverts to think that being introverted is negative, but like, I think the well, no, but crippling social anxiety. Yes, that's a better phrase for what I was. And you know, I yeah, well, and this is a good time. You've probably heard this, but this is a very short little thing to explain, like introversion and extroversion. You should Google it. But they say that introverts recharge their batteries alone mm -hmm. and they, they like to process things on their own. And even though they might be really good with people, social stuff exhausts them. Yeah. And that, that is, I, in a lot of ways, I admire introverts because I wish I was a little more self-contained. I wish I didn't have to process externally as much as I yeah. do. And I wish sometimes that I would be still and be alone more. So introverts are amazing people, just like extroverts are. Yeah, but, um, yeah. but I know in your mind, you're probably thinking hermit or I had crippling social anxiety. I couldn't look people in the eyes. Yeah. But um, you were suffering with anxiety. But um, being an introvert is every bit as much of a gift as being an extrovert. So yeah. I just don't want anyone listening that goes, no, that's fine. Oh, I've been told I'm an introvert. Like, yeah, is this a problem? There's a problem. Well, I use that label because that's the one I know for what I was. And you're right. right. It's not necessarily that. But, you know, if you can't go to a job interview because you can't talk to somebody, well, that's rather limiting. Yeah, it's social phobia, actually. You know, if I can't go to the bank and pay my bills, you know, yeah, there's... Yeah, problem, the way you describe it is like exactly it, like social it, phobia. It, that's what it was. That's what it was. I was just afraid of people and mm -hmm. showing myself the true self. Mm -hmm. And so... You didn't realize how much you had to offer the world no, at that point. I was too afraid even let people see that part even though I like I said about the school thing I knew the answer I just uh -huh. couldn't give it and that's how I felt about my whole life and now you know I'm here giving the answer well, I yeah. know better yeah and when you think about your parents did not know how to see you understand you value you help you see and appreciate yes. your gifts and and what you brought to the world and what you brought to the table and then you married a toxic narcissist with borderline traits yeah that was the same that just ha you shriveled in yes it sure did and she, she was like my parent in that sense she didn't offer me the validation that i needed to be who i wanted to be or who i was it was quite the opposite. I got worse and worse. Yeah, you and, unknowingly recreated the past in another yes. damaging relationship, which no is so kidding. often happens. Yeah, I see that now. It's uncanny how often we Gee. recreate the past without yeah, realizing what without we're doing. Realizing. I know. We maybe marry someone that parallels our worst parent. Yeah. And we have I no know. idea what we're doing, but we're trying to work through it. Yeah, I am. So do you want to say anything about that before we talk about what you talk, you know, mentioned at age 60, the changes you started noticing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. I don't guess. I don't know. Is there something I need to say? No, no. It's just hard to do justice. Honestly, your story is just so great. Um, I mean, you know, you did talk about, you know, starting drinking and dabbling with drugs at age like 14 and you got arrested for public drunkenness in ninth grade. And the research showing, you know, these days shows that the earlier you start drinking or using drugs, the, the worse the outcome. Yes. And 
you know, but again, just getting a break from suffering or sometimes people drink just to alleviate their social anxiety. And I feel so empathetic for them as well. It's like, I just want to be able to loosen up and have fun. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is looking for something outside yourself to fill a void. I agree. Or an artificial high, or it's just not healthy to be reliant on that. It is not. And so anytime somebody says, oh, something happened to me, so I went out to the buffet, Mm -hmm. or I did this or did that. It's like, well, no, let's work on what happened and not how you fixed it temporarily. Right, right. Let's just get to the heart. Are you grieving? Well, let's work on grieving, not drinking. Yeah, yeah, let's choose. It's it's more work um, short term for sure Mm -hmm. to grieve and to journal is harder than to throw your head back and throw something down your throat. Oh, yeah, I want instant gratification. And that's what our society has sort of grown into is this, well, I need it right now. Yeah. The laziest fix. Yeah. And again, like why use something toxic to heal your pain? I love to remind people that suffering people, the last thing they deserve is to poison themselves more, abuse themselves more, hurt themselves more. And so cutting yourself, self-harm to me, using alcohol or drugs to numb pain is a lot like self-harm. Oh, yeah. But people don't think of it that way. No, they do not. But going to therapy is not self-harm. Journaling is not self-harm. No. Crying is not self-harm. No. But it's painful. So it takes so much courage. And see, this is why I also want to highlight you as a man being brave enough to do this, because I think a lot of men get this cowboy macho image of like, oh, it's strong to ignore your issues and never talk about it. Yeah. But it's not really because it's scary and it's painful to face your issues, but it's smart. So I would, that's why I want to make sure anyone who thinks of therapy as weak, Mm -hmm. I think that if they really think about it, it's the opposite. It's very strong and courageous. Yes, it is. And I love that you never gave up on yourself from age, you know, having a drinking problem for 20 to 30 years. Yeah. That took a long time. It wasn't like you got sober in six months of therapy or one year. No. I, I must be a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> it took a long time. And, you know, I mean, I could see oh, even it was just building the blocks to finally get to the top where I could actually make these changes. Oh, yeah. It, it was a slow process. And she's Peggy, you know, she was there the whole way. Knowing that one one day, you know, one day. She's so fond of you. You know, the image I had when you mentioned that, when you said building blocks was, what do you call the the metal um, stairs and platforms you put outside a construction building? Oh, scaffolding. Scaffolding. Yes, yes. It's like scaffolding in your brain, like foundational work. You have to start at the bottom. You can't jump. Like you just said, you can't go six months and you're healed. Right. You have to build it slowly, but slowly. But there is one part of that that I have realized at the end. When change happens, it is a true change. Mm. Okay. And the example I can give for this is the depression. I've been depressed my whole life. Mm. In this past year, basically, I've not been depressed at all. Even while fighting cancer? No. My goodness. I have come so far. And this is the example. This is what I have seen. It's like, well, one day I was like, I was thinking this and thinking, well, I'm going to get depressed because I think about certain things and I get depressed. Well, it's like, I'm thinking. 
well, I'm not getting depressed. What is wrong? I can't yeah. think myself into it. And it's like, well, then why am I thinking these things? And so there's no longer a choice. It's not like, oh, I can think and get depressed or I can wow. get myself out of it. It's just, I'm just not it. Yeah. I just, just don't do it. Anymore. It's not even an option. That's so interesting. I've had a lot of people say that about anxiety, like generalized anxiety, which uh-huh. is like this orbiting new worry that's always yeah. circling in your head. And oh, then one man. worry resolves, a new one pops in. Of course, you got to have that. And when that, it goes away, they're like, where is that orbiting thing that was ever present? It exactly, sounds like depression. Exactly. The same thing. I'll use that as an example because all the other things work the same way. I just didn't see it in real time. Mm. It just over, you know, over the course of the events, it's like, well, it just doesn't happen anymore. But I didn't see it. This one I actually saw because mm. I was wanting to be depressed. I was thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's yeah. not working. It's not working. I love it. I want to see what time it is. Um, I know know it's um, well, I feel like we have maybe 10, 15 minutes left. I want to make sure I just love some more of the stuff that you wrote and told me. Um, Do you want to either read some of this or just share off the top of your head what happened in, you know, the last five years? Uh, Which part of the overcoming yeah i'm happy to read it and then you, you can interrupt me or if you okay. want to read it well uh, no i'm about talked out Enjoy it. <laughs> i love it my social battery is going down as we speak yeah. um well i like everything we've done so far because i'm not just reading a script yeah and that's what i didn't want to do but i like this you lead and yeah. i just kind of throw in unless you that. ask me and so this is much more freer I love it. Well, and some of the stuff you wrote is just so good. I don't know that I, I don't want to forget any of what you've written here. So and this will be quick because you I love the way you outline this. So you said at age 60, I started noticing changes, but not big. At 62, I was starting to really see changes. I had stopped drinking. I mean, that right there is like period. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that, that was huge. Amazing. That was huge. Yes. Now at 64, I am a completely different person. When you remove the negative thoughts and manage emotional trauma and dysfunctions, there is now room in the mind for other thoughts. Oh my goodness. I mean, that sentence right there. I mean, that's just incredible. That's packed full and chock full of so much. Um, Good thoughts and ideas now, extra projects, like this life story, and, and when you say like this life story, do you mean like this writing your life story? This project that we're doing right here. I mean, a year ago, I would have never done this because I didn't have the space mm. to consider. It would take me months and months. And say now I don't have to worry about drinking because that consumes a lot of mental, oh, I got to go get it. Yeah. What am I going to do? How am I going to get home? Yeah. <laughs> a whole bunch of blah, blah, blah. It's almost like a disability in your brain. Like your brain is literally stunted. And I've heard it called a thinking disorder. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the continental plates, the tectonic shifts. Yeah. It, you know, I've heard one alcohol specialist say it takes your brain seven years to recover from the changes in its shape. Wow. And you probably have oh, seen I can, some I can of that. tell. I can tell. I have much more clarity of thought. I have a lot more intent. Mm. You know, I have a focus. 
You're that intentional. I, I cannot let go of. I so mean, my much children, conviction. they're so tired of hearing me talk about this stuff. Aww. I mean, they're like, you know, you're a little overwhelming sometimes. I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, because I, I might learn something every week. And my thing is, I got to go out and tell everybody. You're so passionate. I tell everybody, what about this? You know, you need to learn, you know, not learn, but you know. I hope you kick this cancer as soon as possible. Maybe you need to start working at an, a re, um, recovery or addiction treatment center. You'd be an amazing counselor. Yeah. That passion, there's another verse I love that says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yes. And you are the perfect uh, example. That's your your heart—you can can't. You almost can't shut yourself up. I can't. Isn't that so cool that it is. you've gone from, from I all this yeah. to yeah, Dad never shuts up. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling strangers <laughs> on the bus or yeah, everywhere. Yeah, I don't everywhere. know. We, everywhere. Walmart, the bank, everywhere I go. Hey, did you hear the story about blah blah blah? You know, I got to tell you my story. Uh, That's why I wear my shirts, so people will notice and say, "Wow, cool shirt." And I was like, "This is a a symbol." Aww. This is not just a shirt. This is me trying to attract people that I can talk to about these issues. You know, how do you handle your pain? What do you do? Ugh. Do you drink? Do you yell at your wife? Well, why would you do that? Let's wow. have a discussion, you know, and most of oh, this guy's out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> is he psychic? Who is, is he an angel? Yeah, Who is he? No. Oh, that's amazing. Well, um, so this life story, writing your story has been very powerful for you and very telling and significant, just a sign of how much you've grown and learned and changed and how your brain is functioning well again, um, how to reach out and share stories with each other. I learn a lot about myself when I hear other people's stories. Oh, I love that. See, and just oh, everyone needs to time. tell their story. Yes. I say this in my, I said this originally in my um, podcast, you know, introduction at the beginning, which I eventually dropped, but that we all have a lot to teach and we all have a lot to learn. Yes. And you're the perfect example. And it sounds like you believe that you want to hear other people's stories and you hope that they learn about themselves as well. So then this last paragraph, and then I want you to, um, well, it's not the last, last, but I'll read this paragraph and then I want you to share your analogy of how you view your life. Um, you said, I have overcome, I'll say social phobia, okay. codependency, alcoholism, and depression. I lost 30 pounds to show myself that I can achieve a conscien conscious change that I want. I am in control. My dysfunctions are not in control anymore. I have far more confidence, assertiveness, and self-esteem. Love that. I'm still working on one of the last major issues, which is what we talked about earlier. I'm not good enough and not worthy. <clears throat> A guilt and shame-based emotional system is very hard to overcome. I still have problems with anger, negative thoughts, and rumination. See, I love that you put that in there because our work is never finished. Never. I mean, yeah, that's what I've accomplished, but I'm still having issues that's not really a title. It's not a, a label. It's like, yeah. well, how do, how do you fix this? And I'm, I do it today. Yeah, we're There's always learning. certain things that happen to me that I just can't let go. Yeah. It's just on. Yes, you can't knock all the, all the habits or all the negative no. thoughts. A lot of this comes from relationship issues like jealousy or paranoia, 
but you're still working on those issues as well. And the mind never stops. We are never perfect. Never I, perfect. I yes. Uh, thanks for bringing that in. <laughs> yes. We are never perfect. <laughs> but it doesn't stop us from working on it. Yes. You, inch by inch, you can better your life. Exactly. Baby steps. Exactly. That's incredible. So do you want to share your analogy of how you view your life? And then we'll give people some takeaway advice that you would like to share. Okay. This is somewhat juvenile, but I like it a whole lot because it come to me one day. And, you know, I look at my life now as the life of a butterfly. You know, I spent 60 years of my life as a worm. And that's really degrading, but it's not. That's how I kind of look at that. Mm-hmm. And so then I entered the chrysalis phase where I'm self-reflecting. I'm kind of encased and trying to analyze and what am I doing? What am I changing? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so now I have emerged as my true self, the butterfly. Mm. And I have the shirt to prove it. Oh, that's amazing. Well, and going with your worm example, I mean, you didn't have the conditions that the right temperature and and sustenance to help yourself become a butterfly. Right. And so you, you know, you still had value, but you were in that cocooning, you know, like un, what's the word? Undeveloped. Yeah. Yeah. Traumatized. That was it. And every new thing that happened to me, I really didn't know how to cope with it and deal with it. So the one few choices was to withdraw and drink. Yeah. So all these toxic, unhealthy things happened to you, and then you continued the toxic patterns by using unhealthy substances to self-medicate your pain, which is understandable, but it really stunts everything. It did. Um, So now you've been able to blossom and really be your best self. Um, So... This last page is just full of great advice and and the legacy you want to leave to your kids and your friends and everyone you meet. Um, And I don't know if we can summarize it quickly. Well, just maybe just this last paragraph Mm -hmm. about the children and what little after that if we have time. Okay, that sounds good. I know. Isn't it funny? Neither of us knows what time. Oh, oh, is it? Is it, are you late? Is it 9.15? No, Uh-oh. no, I'm not late, I don't think. Um, okay. It's not 9.15. Anyway, you keep, okay, you keep okay. talking. Well, there is so much more to learn and explore in the mind. I'm very excited to be moving forward and expand my knowledge and understanding. I'm talking about my changes and the knowledge I have attained with my children. They understand the importance of these ideas for them and their children. I want to change the course of their lives from any dysfunction to a more healthy and happy life. If I could take away a little bit of their pain and replace it with a little bit of my love, that would make me very happy. As Peggy has told me, you are the transitional generation. This is going to stop with me. Mm. Let's move ahead with a much more healthy understanding of being alive, being a parent. That gave me chills the way you said that. This is going to stop with me. Stop right now. It's got to. That is my main goal. That's why I'm talking with my children and the grandchildren. If I, you know, if something, I see something that, no, I'm going to tell them. 
you know, my grandson, 10 years old, he was wanting to go do something. And I introduced, well, I have this. If you want to do this, you have a choice. And he's mm-hmm. kind of hesitant to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, this is your choice. Mm-hmm. Stand up for yourself. You can make that choice. I'm not going to be offended. And so that's the, you know, we have choices. That's empowering. And like, I believe in you. Yes. Let's not be afraid to say who we are. Yeah, you can do this. You can do this. And so that's the kind of thing I look for and try to, come on. Yeah, I believe in you. Just do it. I do. You can be who you want to be. Wow. That's so good. So. Well, maybe just for the sake of time, um, I I will just try to highlight some of your advice when you said therapy works. I recommend it for everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look at your feelings, thoughts, and actions very closely. We become what we think. There's a close relationship between emotions and physical reactions. Even watching TV will give you some examples of this. You cry at sad scenes. Um, You know, when you're angry, this is how you feel. When you're anxious, this is how you feel. Imagine how the body is affected by the real things we think about. That is so good. And a lot of kids just are never even given that skill to acknowledge and label their emotions and tune yes, into no, them no. and what they tell us. I mean, they're an alarm system that are, it's there yeah. to help us. Yeah. Um, and then just, yeah, then how negative thoughts and emotions take a toll on you and burden your life with emotional pain and affect your health. Um, you kind of had this fear that you would die at 64 of a heart attack like your dad did. And that sort of not self-fulfilling prophecy, but sort of this that negative belief or fear right, kind of right. caused some. I wonder. I have to wonder. But just like watching TV, you react physically. Yeah. Psychosomatically. And yeah. So if you tell yourself certain things, why wouldn't the body react in the same way? Yeah, the mind-body connection, you almost brought on some major health issues at 64 because you were so convinced. Yes, yes. So now that all has to change. I have to stop all my negative thinking. I have to be positive and look for the future. Yeah. You know. Well, I'm not going into that uh, too much, but I don't want to give the listeners the wrong idea that you're, you know, but you did say, I wondered if I brought on some issues because you had sepsis right after you turned 64 and then, you know, the cancer, and you almost wonder, like, all this anxiety about turning 64. Could it um, have been? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I doubt it. But, again, it's like they do say that anxiety really lowers I mean, your immune I doubt system. it, too. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, it happens. stands for itself. Yeah. It's, it's like, wow, no way. It is kind of uncanny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're starting to look into meditation and yes. see, and you've practiced every day for three weeks and you've learned to slow down your thoughts. Um, and yeah, you're, you just realize there's so much more to learn and explore in the mind. And you're so excited to be moving forward and expanding your knowledge and understanding. And you talk about these changes and what you're learning with your children and so they can teach these to their children, which is exactly that transitional exactly. generation. No, that's that's my goal. Well, know, and I'm the only one doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't hear anybody else talking like I talk. You mean, I mean, just y'all out people, around, but yeah. yeah, just in general. Oh, 
just out in public. Yeah, yeah. yeah, general conversation. This is not one of the topics that people talk about. Yeah. And so I think some people find it refreshing, you know, like when I was in the hospital, I talked to at least 15 different nurses, all young kids, girls. You're on a mission. And they were all like, wow, I've never heard this before. And even at the end, when I was leaving, the last one was like, it's okay if I give you a hug. Aww. It was so sweet because they reacted to me in such a positive way. Right. That, you know, this ain't your typical grandpa in here. Yeah. <laughs> You are on such a mission, and I'm just so thankful that you're willing to share your story and, you know, inspire other people that I love. Earlier, before we started recording, you said, if I can do it, anybody can. Uh, No doubt. I was the hardest. (sighs) There's nothing wrong with me. I don't even know why I'm here. You were hard not to crack. (laughs) Yeah. In denial. Oh, big time. I just didn't understand the difference and so now that I've come this far it's like well then how far can you go mm-hmm. you sky's know, the limit it maybe. is kind of it's like well this is what I've done why can't I do anything mm. and I keep telling my son you know hey I'm gonna levitate mm-hmm. <laughs> as a joke yeah. but it's like well why not yeah I already am well Thank you so, so much Thank for you. doing this. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. And again, I would have never done this except that you gave me the idea that, well, why not? Again, right, like story. everything else, uh-huh. why not? Yeah. And so then I thought about it. It's like, well, yeah, I should write it just for my own therapy. Yeah. And then as I got closer in, it's like, well, you know, to share it, that's what I'm doing with everybody that I meet. Why not get on air? It's kind of like what you said about your grandson. Like, I believed in you and my mother believed in you. Yes, and see yes. how much you have to offer. Yes. And that makes you start to believe in yourself. It does. It more. does. Like, oh, you know, I probably can do that, even though probably I'm so. anxious about it. I yeah. can do it. Yeah. Like this. Yes. I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know how strong you were. <laughs> no. Well, thank you, Phil. Thank you. Thank you.